This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. your free happy tuesday i'm leslie marshall welcome welcome back and i'm glad to be back from vacation a bit jet lagged but uh i was rested before the jet lag uh but good uh to be home here in sunny although cooler than mexico uh southern uh, california uh somebody also uh brings sunshine to the program is scott and paul scott is president of the alliance for american manufacturing the aam they're a partnership established by some of america's leading manufacturers and the united steel workers union for years now, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for voters and our national leaders through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the show, Scott Paul. Hey, Scott, happy Tuesday. Hey, Leslie, great to be with you. Happy Tuesday, right back to you. And uh, glad to have you with us. Um, President Trump has said when he was a citizen and in his actions, when he was a candidate and now that he's president, uh, various things uh, regarding China, uh, regarding trade with China. Today he's also talking about China and North Korea and China's responsibility uh, with uh, North, North Korea. But there's one thing where the president definitely has spoken and uh, his actions and his words have not matched, and that's with regard uh, to steel. Um, the administration is talking about steel. Donald Trump has been guilty of using steel overseas instead of using and buying American steel for some of his Trump properties. Um, so let's talk about this steel debriefing. Why is steel such a big deal, and why is the administration talking about it now? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and for a change, I mean, Trump's tweets on. China and North Korea have kind of been overshadowed by United and Sean Spicer, uh, which is rare today, but this policy saga will continue with China because it's a really important relationship. And, you know, the Trump, you know, won some key steel states. He won Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Indiana, uh, where where there's a lot of steel production. um, And, you know, all of those states either once or twice voted for, for President Obama. Um, and he made some very specific promises to steel industries, to steel workers, uh, at, at a very early stage in the, uh, in the campaign um, about buying American, hiring American, about changing trade agreements, uh, free trade agreements that aren't working, uh, about getting tough on China, particularly when it comes to its currency, 
something called its overcapacity in uh, in steel, where it, it makes a lot more steel than it needs, um, uh, and and with other types of unfair trade practices, uh, and a lot of people are wondering, Leslie, you know, exactly when you're going to see uh, these policy promises uh, become reality, uh, because so far, uh, other than withdrawing from the already dead Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, there hasn't been a lot of meat on the bone. I, I want to talk about something that I, I think is is very clear and it's very apparent, and it's a point that I, I, I think that we have to hit home, and I know that you, know, you certainly do. Um, if a state, like New York, for example, in a business in that state, buys foreign steel over domestic, it is, in just a simplistic terms, taking, robbing jobs from the American people, correct? Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely is. And uh, there's, a, there's a great reporter at the um, New York Daily News, uh, uh, Ginger Otis Adams, who's been covering um, local infrastructure projects and has uncovered that uh, at LaGuardia Airport uh, for another planned uh, Hudson, Hudson River Tunnel um, for the Verrazano Narrows Bridge in the past and, and for some other infrastructure projects that um, those the Port Authority and the other entities who run those projects have been using uh, steel shipped all the way from China as opposed to steel made uh, in the United States, uh, and they've been doing it uh, because they have been been offered impossibly low prices from China, and uh, which aren't based on the market in any way. And at the end of the day, uh, what happens is that you know, the steel business, the, the businesses that could bid on that in the United States, uh, they they lose that work, uh, and they either uh, have to lay folks off, or they cut their profits, or um, or in some cases. Uh, they go out of business, and so it's not a, uh, it, it's not really what we would call a level playing field when you have these, you know, these small businesses or sometimes mid-sized businesses bidding on this work in the United States versus uh, a firm that's tied to the rather large Chinese government. I also want to talk about why a business would choose foreign steel. Is it? that much cheaper and i think i may have asked this before but you know i've talked to you about how you have those made in china t-shirts that you find at souvenir shops and they're three for five bucks and they they fall apart after one wash could the same be said for foreign steel i mean if something's cheaper you know you do they do say you get what you pay for um why is it cheaper and are we getting less of a quality and authentic uh, material. Is there something mixed in with that steel that is not going to make it as um, that's not going to make it as strong? I mean, because you know we have a D minus rating with our infrastructure and our roads right. and our bridges, and I speak about the bridges especially that you know collapse. And if we repair something or replace something with foreign steel, and that steel is not the quality of domestic steel, that's quite dangerous. It sure is, and you you will first. I'll I'll use an example to illustrate this, and then I'll I'll talk a bit about the the the, the general question. 
So the another big infrastructure project, which was reconstructing the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge, which was damaged after an earthquake that happened actually many years ago now, um, uh, had been had been long delayed, and th- then Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's been out of office for a while, but decided that he wanted to rebuild part of it uh, using uh, Chinese steel, and said that he could save four hundred million dollars by doing this. What ended up happening, though, Leslie, is that uh, the Chinese company that bid on this work had actually never built a bridge before. Uh, there ended up being a lot of problems with the welds uh, that delayed the bridge coming online, that increased the cost. And so there was a there were a couple of immediate results, which was uh, there was a there were long delays uh, in getting a new bridge up, which was a, a hassle for commuters. Um, there ended up being uh, large scale quality challenges, which really perplexed a lot of the engineers and uh, Caltrans, the the transportation agency in California, had to send um, dozens and dozens of engineers to China to sort out these problems. Uh, and you know, a the jobs impact was that West Coast metals fabricators in the United States missed out on the opportunity to add about. You know, anywhere from three to five thousand jobs, uh, and and they're continuing to have some concerns about the, the 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 quality and the integrity of the of the bridge over over the long term. Um, now, what happens though, and this is the interesting thing, is that it's really easy, Leslie, for these state and local officials to pass the buck. They'll say, well, you know, the 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 the, the construction firm that bid on this. Um, is the one that made the decision, and then they'll pass the buck and say, well, the construction firm will say, well, we just got it from a steel warehouse, and we didn't ask where it came from. Um, And then the steel warehouse will say, yeah, we supply all sorts of stuff, and we supply it from China uh, in particular because we get it at rock-bottom prices. And it's rock-bottom prices. You're right, Leslie, sometimes because there might be substandard quality, but also it's built on something called the China price, uh, which makes it impossibly low. It's a price that's subsidized by the Chinese government, that's aided from time to time by China's currency manipulation, um, that's assisted by the fact that these Chinese steel plants don't have to meet the same environmental standards as we do here. We don't want to lower ours to the pollution levels of China, where they have hundreds of thousands of people who die premature deaths every year because of the air and the water pollution. We want Chinese standards to come up, but that's a factor in the price. And so is the fact that workers are um, don't have the right to form independent unions. Um, they lack that collective bargaining ability, and the Chinese labor laws are skirted all the time. So even the low wages that they paid, that's not even what some of these workers end up with. And, and Chinese steel mills also get a massive amount of energy subsidies where they're not paying uh, market prices for the, for the energy they're using in their factories. So you add all of that together, they can offer the steel at the low cost because um, they don't have the same kind of uh, of, 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 of profit-making uh, opportunities that, that firms in the private sector here in the United States do. So um, when you add that up together, it creates a, a tilted playing field away from our, um, our workers, our businesses in the United States, and towards these Chinese steel mills. Uh, and unless there are, and this is important, unless there are uh, 
laws in place that guarantee a level playing field for our workers and businesses. These are called Buy America laws. This is what's going to happen. The business is going to go for to China, and ultimately our taxpayers, um, our workers, are the ones who are going to suffer the most. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Go to their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow Scott there, at Scott Paul AAM. You have questions about steel, cheaper steel, and do you want something that is not quality Put into our already D-minus infrastructure grade in America, 8886 Leslie, 888-653-7543. Furthermore, do you want foreign steel to replace American steel, which then replaces American jobs and gives those jobs to foreigners overseas? 888-6-Leslie, 888-653-7543 is the number. Like I said, follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM. Follow me at Leslie Marshall. We'll incorporate your tweets as well as your calls. More after this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. Like I said, you want to join us, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. We are live with our guest, and you can follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall to incorporate questions or comments. Our guest is Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. We're talking steel, we're talking jobs, and we're talking China. And, uh, Scott, I had mentioned um, earlier, uh, I had you know mentioned the state of New York, and the region, uh, regions throughout the state of New York um, are definitely a premier market for all kinds of steel products because is, isn't that a very dense area that has a lot of aging infrastructure? Yeah, you, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly what's going on is that, you know, New, anybody who's been to New York City uh, or, or the surrounding region know it's a very built-up area that has um, a very urban infrastructure and has a lot of has a lot of crossings, bridge crossings, tunnel crossings, um, has a lot of airports, uh, has a lot of, you know, it's a transportation hub, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, highways, uh, rail, uh, both freight and transit um, that, that come together there. And so when you, when you add that volume, and the, the largest number of, of, of people of any metropolitan area in, in the United States of America, so you, you add all of that together, that equals... Uh, outsized uh, transportation needs, uh, and the fact that it is a, you know, it's a very mature area. It's been around for a couple of centuries. Its, it's infrastructure has built up over then, and, and the, even the things that lie under New York, like its subway tunnels, its water infrastructure, have, have in some cases been around for more than 100 years. So there's going to need, they, they need both upkeep, uh, modernization, uh, and they need expansion to accommodate additional population growth. And that means, you know, big-time infrastructure projects, you know, billions of dollars' worth of infrastructure projects. In fact, you could take the, the, the proposed trillion dollars that, you know, Bernie Sanders talked about during the campaign, that, that Trump says his plan 
will uh, will provide, and you can easily spend ten percent of that um, in New York City alone and in the area on on its high priority projects. Uh, so it's 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 got a huge market for for infrastructure needs. Um, let's also talk about foreign steel. We we've, we've talked about China and the steel that American businesses buy from overseas is primarily from China. Um, but there are other countries that are taking jobs away from Americans with foreign steel, India, Turkey, and throughout Eastern Europe, including Russia. Yeah, that, that's also true. It's not just the, the Chinese, uh, market that's responsible for these, for, for this, even though China produces about half of the world's steel, there are many countries, uh, and you, you name Russia, India, Turkey uh, as examples, who have a who place a strategic imperative on their nation's steel industry because they realize uh, it's a product that provides the foundation for lots of types of manufacturing uh, and and can be exported, particularly to markets that have low barriers, uh, like the United States or the European Union. Uh, and so, and oftentimes, and this is certainly the case in Russia, in India, uh, and in Turkey, they get some types of government support. Those companies may not be owned by their governments, like the steel companies are in China, where you have most most of the major output in China is controlled by the Chinese government. Uh, but in in Russia, in Turkey, in India, uh, these firms again receive heavy government subsidize, subsidies uh, that that aren't permitted in the United States. And our our steelmakers in Pennsylvania or Indiana or anywhere else shouldn't have to compete. Uh, against this, but in a uh, in a situation like the Port Authority uh, trying to find steel for some of these projects, they they are thrust in this position, and, it, and it's the, the Port Authority's decisions and others in New York are costing us jobs right now. But doesn't the U.S. government have the ability to dictate that American steel has to be used for certain public projects, especially if federal funds are involved? That's exactly right. We've had these Buy America laws on the books since 1933. Uh, of all people, Ronald Reagan strengthened them in the 1980s, Leslie, so they, they've been around for a while. Uh, but, but states and localities will oftentimes try to find ways to skirt this because they think they're going to get a better value, a better deal. Uh, they often end up disappointed, like Governor Schwarzenegger in California did, who, who didn't get what he thought he was, uh, what he was paying for uh, with that Chinese steel. But, but it's, so that's why it's important to have these types of what we call domestic content laws at every level of government. Uh, in the states, and there are some great states that have laws like this, the states like Pennsylvania uh, and Indiana, um, and we need to strengthen them at the federal level as well to avoid loopholes like this. We're going to take a quick break. Back with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. During the break, go to the website, AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow him there, at Scott Paul AAM. And better yet, pick up the phone and join us with your questions and comments, 888-6LESLIE. Back in a moment.
back with our guest and with you. If you want to join us, I know you're listening. 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Tweet me for question or comment for Scott, our guest, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM, at Leslie Marshall. Scott, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, and the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, have agreed to a new 100-day plan for trade talks that's supposed to boost U.S. exports and also reduce the U.S. trade deficit uh, with China. We heard that last week from Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. A few questions on this, most definitely. Um, Talk to us about what actually happened during this meeting uh, between China's president and our president. And are American workers going to see any action against China's trade cheating as a result of this meeting? Yeah, Leslie, I think it's an open question. And coming into the summit, I mean, there had, uh, you know, certainly Trump, through his campaign rhetoric, you know, I'm going to name China a currency manipulator on day one of the administration. Do you remember that? I certainly remember that. And... Um, uh, and, and then, you know, just talking about the bad, the bad trade agreement that we had with China and how we were going to rebalance things. And, you know, he even had preview, you know, he criticized Obama for having met with Xi and said he'd, if he met with him, he'd have a Big Mac. None of that happened. Um, instead, what we saw was an agreement to talk, it looks like. And, uh, the Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross had said that you know the, the difference this time, the difference between what they're about to embark on over the next hundred days versus what's happened in past administrations like the Obama administration or the Bush administration, uh, is that there will be measurable progress, that they'll have what they call way stations along the way, um, and that it will produce some change and that the goal is to have more exports going into China and to bring the trade deficit with China down. So I guess the, the message I got from that is like we're, we're going to take, we're gonna take the next 100 days uh, to put into place potentially some actions that are going to produce meaningful outcomes for workers and businesses, uh, but it has us all waiting till July. Uh, and so, again, you know, for a president who talked uh, about trade every day of the campaign, um, it's. I think a lot of people will uh, think that he's that he's falling short of of the commitments that he made. I, I imagine. Look, I could be wrong about this. I imagine the folks who supported Trump will say, "Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, this problem didn't have happen overnight. Let's let's see how much progress we can make." Uh, but but I think it's also fair. Uh, to level some criticism, and I know that uh, you know Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader of the Senate, did that just today, uh, where he said that uh, Trump has been falling short of his promises on China, and that uh, he's got to get a lot tougher. Uh, and Leslie, that this is an area where Senate Democrats were really prepared to engage with Trump on, and having a different type of trade relationship, so that we can create more jobs here, have better outcomes for our workers. Uh, but that so far he was uh, he was not particularly impressed with uh, with what the president had been able to accomplish. Let's take some calls. I have questions, but I know that our listeners do as well. We head to Phoenix, Arizona. Charlie on line three, listening on KPHX fourteen eighty AM. Charlie, question for Scott. I understand. Hi, how you guys doing? Good. Uh, can you uh, 
produce steel with solar power? Charlie, that's a good that's question. Good. And uh, right now, the uh, the technology wouldn't allow us uh, wouldn't allow it. I mean, there's uh, there's there's different types of ways to produce steel through an electric arc furnace. Um, and through what's called a blast furnace. In fact, there's a there's a there's a uh, a, a kind of a how to, how to make steel um, video on our uh, on our YouTube channel um, that goes through the process. But it's not uh, just given the amount of uh, energy that's needed right now. Um, it's not scientifically kind of achievable to uh, to power a full scale. Uh, steel mill through solar power right now. It doesn't mean that there wouldn't be that opportunity uh, in the future, uh, but 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 not now. I would say that I mean one interesting thing about when we're talking about comparative steel production is that because of some of the pollution controls that have been installed over the years in American steel, and and I will be the first to admit and and to confess that this was a very polluting industry in the past. Uh, but they've made substantial progress over the last decade, and a ton of steel in the United States, for instance, uh, includes one-third of the carbon output that a ton of steel in China, uh, and just fractional levels of other types of pollutants like uh, nitrous oxide, uh, um, uh, particulate matter, uh, and uh, the, the water in a steel mill is almost fully recycled. So, uh, so, so they have made a lot of progress on sustainability, but but not yet to the point where uh, you can you can run a steel mill uh, off of, a full scale steel mill over, off off of solar power. I hope to see that day someday. So, why would any American poo poo coal production at its at its highest peak right now? to have it to produce as much steel as we can in America? Well, I, I think that's another good question. And, you know, currently, you know, one of the feedstocks for steel uh, is certainly coal. And, again, my argument would be uh, you'd rather have this production take place in the United States than in China if, you're care, if you care about the global environment. And, and for the time being, it is true that that coal is a piece of that. Um, we don't we don't cons- we, we don't produce um, enough steel to dramatically change the uh, coal consumption uh, in the United States um, in the way that steel production in China would, which is um, you know China steel production. Is on a massive scale. China produces half of the world's steel. We produce a very small percentage of it. So, um, so it's not yet that. But I, I, I get your point about uh, about restrictions on on coal. And, and look, I think there has to be balance there. I mean, you have to uh, f- find some balance with that. But it's not. Um, it's it's certainly not the 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 cost of coal or the availability of coal that's had the biggest impact on the steel industry it's actually been unfair trade practices from china anything else charlie yeah didn't he just say that uh he would enjoy a larger production percentage of steel in the united states well, sure. I mean, that's you know, I think that that's that's generally good for the environment. It's good for jobs. So uh, we we certainly should have that. So, how do you do it without coal? 
Well, I, I don't think anyone's suggesting you do it without coal, um, and, and I certainly haven't seen that plan. I think that the the point that I'm making to you is that the the availability of coal hasn't been a deciding factor in the competitiveness of the American steel industry. It's it's been much more about unfair trade practices with China at this point. No regulation. So I'm glad the president uh, and uh, at least some Democrats in the Congress want to focus on that. Thank, uh, thank you uh, for your comments, uh, Charlie. Anything else with regard to that, Scott? No, I think you know it, it's a, it's a fair point uh, about you know our environmental regulations strangling the steel industry uh, in the United States and um, the compared to other countries. And, and I would just say two things about that. First of all, we don't want the level of environmental regulations that they have in China with respect to coal because, and I mentioned this earlier on the program, Leslie, is that their, their lack of constraints on pollution leads to hundreds of thousands of premature deaths in the United States. Um, I mean, sorry, in, in China, and actually impacts particulate matter out on the West Coast. I mean, you know, a lot of your pollution there, Leslie, actually comes from uh, Chinese industrial production. Um, but, but much more important like, th- than that is that the, you know, the United States steel industry has been a sustainability leader, uh, and they've modernized the production, and, and they've made it uh, within the current constraints of, like, physics and science as, as uh, responsible as it can possibly be. Do you feel that China is basically just offering concessions and the only goal in that is to avert a trade war with the United States? Because Donald Trump seems to, you know, have a heart for trade war, threatened it, and seems to want to have it. Pick a country, Mexico, China. Well, right. And and part of it, you know, so I, I, I don't know what the future uh, holds, but, you know, one of the theories about Trump is that he, uh, you, you know, he offers a, uh, a big and grandiose uh, and, and very aggressive and hard-edged uh, position um, and then ultimately gets to a deal that uh, is, is going to somehow benefit both parties. Um, and so if you, you know, if you're one, if you're the subscriber to that belief, uh, the, the kind of the art of the deal approach, then I guess you would hold out a lot of hope that, that something is possible. At the same time, um, you know, you have to look at the evidence, which is uh, what's the president prepared to do for workers uh, in, in this country? Um, when the, the president had the chance to apply by America to the proposed Keystone XL pipeline. He, he did not do that, um, uh, which seemed to contradict some things that the administration had, had, had at least indicated were possible in the past. Um, and, yeah, didn't name China a currency manipulator on day one. So there's certainly been a gap between uh, what the president has uh, said he would do uh, and what he would do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this, and we're going to talk about a package of investments that the Chinese president arrived with and uh, how, quite frankly, those are a lose, lose, lose for U.S. workers and for our economy. Scott talks about that in great detail with me when we come back. Don't go away. Scott Paul, president of the AAM, is our guest. Follow him at Scott Paul AAM. Check out their website during the break. 
AmericanManufacturing.org and call us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Back in a moment. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6LESLIE. about with Scott Paul. I hope we get to it uh, all. Uh, Scott Paul, and that rhymes, president of the Alliance for American uh, Manufacturing. Um, do you uh, do we want to talk a little more specifically about what China is bringing to the table and how, in a sense, it's a lose-lose-lose for Americans? Um, let, let's touch upon that uh, briefly, Scott. Foreign investments harm the U.S. economy, right? Because right now, and we've talked about this constantly, the U.S. is in a trade deficit. And that has reduced employment in America, especially in the area of uh, manufacturing in the United States. Um, talk to us about this. How does that work? I mean, the inflow of foreign capital, uh, you know, bids up the U.S. dollar. And then that reduces our ability to remain uh, competitive, especially in a field like U.S. manufacturing. And what it does is it makes the imports cheaper, the exports more expensive. And so this, you know, only adds to the deficit if we give China, in a sense, what they want. Yeah, Leslie, you've touched on something really important here. And I would first say that, you know, I am not opposed to all types of what's called foreign direct investment. I, I think it's good if a you know if if a european or an asian car company wants to sell automobiles in the united states that they should make them here and so that kind of foreign investment can be um, can be somewhat healthy uh, but the the kind that you're referring to and i think this is really important is and and this is particularly true of countries where the government has big control of their economy is that um, once again they're setting up shop. They have virtually no cost of capital, uh, unlike their private sector peers in the United States. Um, and they, they, it has other economic consequences, as you're talking about, with respect to our current account balance uh, and our exchange rate uh, that, might, that might not be uh, healthy in an overall sense for, um, for, for our economy. And what what I think has to happen, and, and I think this is important in terms of the outcome between any U.S. and China trade conversation, if all China is willing to do is to pump more foreign direct investment into the U.S. economy, that, as you indicate, that's not going to be helpful. What has to happen are two things. Number one, China has to open its market to more of our exports so that we're selling far more than we are right now to Chinese consumers. Chinese consumers apparently love Buicks. I would love to see Buicks shipped from Michigan uh, to, uh, to, to China, um, and so boosting our exports. Number two, the second thing China has to do is reduce its industrial overcapacity. It has these zombie factories 
that are producing things that nobody needs or wants right now. They make too much steel. They make too much aluminum. Uh, they make too many semiconductors. They make too much glass. They, uh, they have a lot of excess production. It's basically an employment program. Uh, instead of making what needs to be a transition to a more consumption-based uh, economy, which, which, what, which, which is what China desperately needs to do in its next phase of economic development. Uh, and so if China reduces its, its industrial overcapacity, number one, it, if it opens its markets for more of our goods, number two, that will bring our trade deficit down. And that will be helpful uh, to American workers uh, and to everybody else to restore some balance to this economic relationship that has helped to devastate millions of jobs in America and profoundly reshaped manufacturing uh, and had impacts that went well beyond uh, ma manufacturing and into the, the divorce rates in some of these impacted communities, the mortality rates, even infused into our politics uh, in many ways that led, you know, in part and explains part of the, the rise of Donald Trump. Uh, it, it's had profound act. And, and we're reckoning with this right now. And, and I think there is a path forward, but we have to be very serious and very careful about how we proceed. Scott, I know that you uh, were at the USW convention, and uh, one of the reasons some people say, especially in uh, typically uh, Democratic um, states, in, in, especially in a general election like a Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, very heavy manufacturing states, you know, blue-collar worker states, uh, they were concerned about unfair trade deals, uh, TPP. Um, you know, would be one example of that. And they definitely felt that Donald Trump uh, would perhaps uh, do more or enough to stop unfair trade and unfair trade deals from going forward, as opposed to Hillary Clinton, which many people feel uh, put Trump over the finish line. Um, you spoke to workers at the USW convention. How do workers feel about what is going on? And do they feel like Donald Trump, our president, is doing enough to stop unfair trade? Yeah, that, that's a, it's a fantastic question. And you're right that I imagine, you know, a lot of these uh, industrial workers uh, unionized uh, in states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, helped, helped to tip the balance for Trump. And, and they listened to him on trade, and, and they, you know, were willing to uh, accept, uh, you know, accept his message. And, I, and he, here's my observation at this point, is that, you know, the folks who supported Trump, um, are still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and say it takes time to to, to sort some of these challenges out. But but I th I think that there is you know that that stopwatch is is ticking, Leslie, because they need to see things improve in their communities. Um, and, and the folks that were skeptical and said, look, this guy doesn't practice what he preached. He doesn't use steel and, you know, American steel in his own building sometimes. He gets it from China. Um, and, and it's all talk and, and no action. And he's filled uh, his administration with, with folks that have uh, either Wall Street backgrounds that, that aren't going to be friendly. Uh, I mean, look, they're, they're, they're also persuaded. And I, you know, I've kind of set my own deadline 
on this. And I look at July, which is where a lot of this has come to fruition. Are we going to have American steel in our pipelines? Are we going to have a different trade relationship with China? Are we going to be seriously renegotiating NAFTA? Are we going to be taking, uh, you know, individual trade actions that are going to open markets for the U.S. workers and protect us from import competition that's unfair? You know, all of this should come to a head. So I'm, you know, I'm giving him until July to show that he's going to deliver. Uh, and, and after that, I think it's going to be apparent whether Ab- that's the case or not. Absolutely. Scott, the hour always flies by when you're with us. Thank you for taking the time once again. We learn a lot. I know I do, and I know our listeners do as well. Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow him on Twitter at ScottPaulAAM. The website is AmericanManufacturing.org. I'm Leslie Marshall, and this is the only true democracy in talk radio. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.